0: Excited to be here with you this morning, share God's Word, open up your Bible with me to Isaiah chapter 38, Isaiah chapter 38. It's kind of in the middle of your Bible, if you're uh, looking for that, trying to figure out where it is, about in the middle there. Isaiah 38 is a wonderful, wonderful passage, uh, but before we get into the passage, we're going to have to do a little bit of uh, background introduction. We've been talking about Hezekiah. You you uh, have followed us uh, for a couple of weeks as we looked at that, and then we had our revival. But we were talking about a cry for revival, and and today we're going to talk about living revival. Because Hezekiah took the nation of Israel through a revival in a in a religious sense, but Hezekiah himself needed personal revival. You might say that. Uh, Hezekiah had a near-death experience. I don't know if any of you have ever had a near-death experience. I know one person in particular, uh, Brother Richard Solchenberger, I don't know if he's here right now. Where, 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 there he is back there. He had a... How many, how many volts hit you, Brother? Can you yell it out real quick? 40,000 40, volts of electricity went through Brother Richard's body one day. And he had himself a, a near-death experience. And it brought him to the conclusion that he needed the Lord as his Savior. And he's here today testifying of the goodness of his God, and we're thankful for that. Amen. I'm so thankful. Well, Hezekiah needed needed personal revival. He was going through a sickness, an illness. Uh, And you can read the story there. uh, Back in 2 Kings, the Lord had sent the prophet Isaiah to Hezekiah. And he told Hezekiah to get your affairs in order, get your house in order, because you will not recover. You will die. That's what the Lord told Hezekiah. He's going to die. When you think about how old he was, he was 25 years old whenever he assumed the throne in Judah. Then he was, he had reigned for 14 years, and then he received a terminal diagnosis. How old was he, church? He was my age. He was 39 years old. After the Lord had routed King Sennacherib, it was a great victory for the people of Judah. The kingdom of Assyria was no longer a threat to them. Well, it's still a threat, but the king was no longer a threat. And now Hezekiah can't experience. The joy of that. Because he's about to die. Well, the Bible says in 2 Kings that Hezekiah uh, went into his room. He was on his bed and he turned his face to the wall. And he prayed to the Lord and he said, Remember how I've been faithful to you, Lord, and how I've served you. And the Bible says he wept bitterly. Now, I think sometimes preachers get this wrong because they say that Hezekiah prayed for God to extend his life, but the Bible never says that Hezekiah prayed for God to extend his life. The Bible says he, he prayed for God to remember his faithfulness, which is a different prayer altogether. In other words, Hezekiah was attempting in that moment to make peace with God. Hezekiah understood that he was, he was knocking on eternity's door. He was about to die and he wanted God to remember that he had been faithful during his lifetime to God but then hezekiah wept bitterly because he knew that he he had no power within himself he had no righteousness within himself to make death more bearable to make meeting God easy And in fact, he probably, because he'd never heard the name of Jesus, never knew about the cross, never knew what you knew, that Jesus paid it all. He didn't know that. He turned to the wall. He wept bitterly as he faced the prospect of death. Now, you can imagine being there with him. You can imagine weeping. But then Isaiah, the prophet, he has gone out. And the Bible says before he even got out of the court of Hezekiah's palace, The Lord sent a new word to Isaiah, told him to turn around and go back into Hezekiah and to tell Hezekiah, the Lord has heard your prayer and you will not die. You will live 15 more years. And then you know what Isaiah did? He said, bring some cake. (laughs) We're going to celebrate. And so Hezekiah was revived. Now, that's a wonderful story. Second Kings chapter 20, you can go back and read all of that. I think about the recovery that Hezekiah experienced and how it was a second chance. But I think about how when we've experienced revival, it kind of feels like a second chance, doesn't it? Amen. Now, if, you, if you've experienced revival and you know how that feels, you know what it's like for the Lord to look at you and say, hey, I'm not done with you. It feels like a second chance. You know what it's like for the Lord to look at you and say, hey, I forgive your sin because of the death of Jesus on the cross. It feels like a second chance, doesn't it? Whenever the Lord says to you, he's got work that he wants you to do, it feels like a second chance, doesn't it? Well, that's what revival really results in. It's a second chance To serve the Lord. Hey, what if God gave you 15 more years? What would you do with your second chance? How would you use it? Wouldn't you live revived? Revival is that supernatural stirring in the hearts of God's people that that produces extraordinary results. But until you get to that point, where you can look at the remainder of your life on past through death and you can see the glory of God and that that is your eternity you're not ready to live and you're not ready to serve the Lord. You've got to get to that point before you can really be of use for the kingdom of God. That's why revival is so important. Many of us we pray for revival because we feel like America's going down the tube, isn't it? Amen. It's going down, right? And so we pray for revival because we care about our 401k. We pray for revival because we care about the future of our children. And that's important. We pray for revival because we don't want China taking over our country. And that's why we pray for revival, right? But listen, God wants to send revival, not just for all of those results. God wants to send revival because He wants to use you to build His kingdom. And if you're stuck in the cycle. You put the cycle up there for me, Caleb. If you're stuck in that cycle. You're not useful for the kingdom. What if we could get from that place where we have awakening among unbelievers and we have worship. And and we have. Not decline. But a continual living revive. A living in revival. What what if we could get to that place where the cycle, it gets around to that point and it just continues instead of going into decline. Isn't that what God would want for you and for your family and for your friends and for your community? It's for for the cycle to stop with you. For the decline to never begin, but for revival to never end. That's what God wants for you. Now maybe you, you've experienced revival and you're getting ready for that decline. For things to just get back to normal. Right? Folks, That, that normal is the beginning of decline. Right? We don't want normal. We want extraordinary. We want the extraordinary stirring of God that produces extraordinary results in our lives and in the lives of those around us. And we want that to continue. Man, I want it to continue. But I'll tell you this, and this is what we're going to learn from this this beautiful song that Hezekiah wrote after he was revived, is that you are not ready to live, not that way, not in continual revival. This is your biblical truth this morning. You are not ready to live until you are prepared to die. Now, I want us to read together. Why don't you stand with me? We're in Isaiah 38, and we're going we're to skip down to the last part. Can we skip down to the last part? Caleb, we're going to read that part together. We're going to pick up in verse 14, okay? Let's skip on further down than that. That's still a lot to read. Let's, let's begin in verse 16. Begin in verse 16. Oh Lord, by these things men live. live. Not just survive. Men truly live, right? And in all these things is the life of my spirit. Oh, restore me to health and make me live, he says. Behold, it was for my welfare that I had great bitterness. But in love you have delivered my life from the pit of destruction. For you have cast all my sins behind your back. For Sheol does not thank you. Death does not praise you. Those who go down to the pit do not hope for your faithfulness. The living, the living, He thanks you as I do this day. The Father makes known to the children your faithfulness. The Lord will save me and we will play music on stringed instruments all the days of our lives at the house of the Lord. Let us pray together. Father, we are thankful for your word today, Lord. We we ask that you would look upon us and that we would live. We wouldn't just survive, Lord. We would live. Live lives of abundance. Live revived, Lord, every day of our lives until the day you call us home and we see you face to face and we hear well done, good and faithful servant. Lord, I pray that prayer over every one of those who are listening. And Lord, if there's one here today, that they're not ready for eternity. They're not ready for the day of their death because they've never asked Jesus to be their personal Lord and Savior. I pray that today, Lord, they would get their eternity right. They would make their peace with you by the blood of Jesus. And it's in his name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. Well, Hezekiah not only experienced a physical revival where he recovered from his sickness, Hezekiah experienced a spiritual revival where he recovered from sin sickness. And he knew at that moment that for the rest of his life, no matter what happened, whenever he faced that final day, that he'd be ready for that day. And that's how he lived for the rest of his life. For 15 more years, he lived that way. I don't know how much longer you have on this earth. But I would say this. Most likely, it's less time than you think. Now, some of you are going, no, I, I live on the wild side. I saw a couple of people shaking their head. I'm not going to name your name, brother, but you were shaking your head. You're saying, no, I live on the wild side. I'm probably going to die soon. Well, I'll tell you what. For most of us though, it's probably less time than we think. And when we get to that point, we'll think, man that went by fast, no matter what we think now. But I want to first, and I want to talk about how this true revival that happened to Hezekiah, what, what will happen to you is what happened to him and this is what happened. Revival, if we have this true and lasting revival, it will relieve the sting of death. Takes the sting of death away. I don't know why I'm cutting out. I guess I'll... I may have broken it. I'm sorry. Dropped it too many times. So revival relieves the sting of death. Look at verses 9 through 13 and and you're going to see Hezekiah. He's going to sound pretty drab right here. He's going to sound pretty desperate right here. Uh, pretty pretty upset right here. So just just bear with him, okay? Cuz he's going to get to that end that we just read a moment ago, but we're going to start here in verse 9 and he says Uh, This is a writing of Hezekiah, the king of Judah, after he has been sick and had recovered from his sickness. Verse 10, I said, in the middle of my days, I must depart. I mean, 39. I think about how old that is. And I think that's not old. Now, whenever I was Micah's age, when I thought my dad was 39, I thought he was old as dirt. Old dirt. Not even new dirt. He was old as old dirt. But now that I'm 39, I can agree with Hezekiah in the middle of my days. The prime of life. Got so much to look forward to. Got children to raise and grandchildren to to see come up. And and weddings to attend and wonderful events to be a part of. To, To see the glory days of Israel return because of the revival that's been happening in Israel. He wants all of those things. He's been a good king for the most part. And yet in the middle of his days, he said, I must depart. Now, I want you to think about some of these words. We're going to read some of them, but just listen. Here's some of the metaphors that Hezekiah uses for death. He talks about departing, like getting on an airplane and taking off and going on a trip. He talks about consignment, like being confined to a prison. He talks about darkness, loneliness. He says, I-, I won't see the Lord anymore. I won't see my family anymore. Loneliness. He talks about a, a, a shepherd's tent that's plucked up and removed. I mean, you think about a shepherd's tent. It's just temporary, right? Just a pole and a and a canvas and a little bit of rope and, and just in a moment, it's gone. It's like, And it's like the shepherd was never there. A cloth cut from... Off of the loom. And rolled up. He talks about bringing him to an end. How, how death is like the end. The finish line. And then he talks about the breaking of bones. The crushing of bones. In a lion's mouth. And all these metaphors. It, it, it shows uh, They show us the, the sharp edges of death. Paul talks about. The sting of death, and how it cur- how it cuts and it hurts. How it's imminent. It's inevitable. It's unavoidable. It's decreed. It's decided. It's destined. And you are, and I am, destined to die. Death is predetermined. You don't get to decide when you die. He says, "In the middle of my days." I must depart. He says, I am consigned to the gates of Sheol. Death is decisive. Once you're there, you're there. And you can't come back. Death is divisive. It divides us from the people that we love. Notice what it says. He says, I shall not see the Lord. The Lord in the land of the living. I shall look no more on among the inhabitants of the world. It's divisive. Not only that, death is drawing near. Look at what it says next. He says, my dwelling is plucked up and removed from me like a shepherd's tent. It's just temporary. It's here today and then it's gone tomorrow. Life is here today and gone tomorrow. Psalm 90 and verse 12 says, so teach us to number our days. That we may get a heart of wisdom. Count those days. And count them as precious. Every day that we have on this earth is a gift from Almighty God. And it's to be used for His glory. You know, Mark Twain, he became morose and weary at the end of his life. And shortly before his death, he wrote, A myriad of men are born. They labor and sweat and struggle they squabble and scold and fight. They scramble for a little mean advantages over each other. Age creeps upon them. Infirmities follow. Those they love are taken from them. And the joy of life is turned to aching grief. The release comes at last. The only unpoisoned gift earth ever had for them. And they vanish from a world where they were of no consequence. A world which will lament them for a day and forget them forever. I have a preaching professor at New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary. He said, whenever you die, they're going to say a few nice words over your grave, dump dirt in your face, and go back to the fellowship hall and have potato salad. (laughs) Sounds a lot like what Job said. Job said, man is few of days and full of trouble." Death is drawing near. Not only that, death devours. Notice what else he says. He talks about a lion. Uh, he uses another, another metaphor. He talks about the loom. And he, like, he'd get at the end of the loom. And the weaver cuts it off and rolls up the fabric. And that's it. It's over. That tapestry, that fabric is finished. And then he goes on to say, Uh, From day to night, you bring me to an end. And he's going to repeat that phrase. From day to night, you bring me to an end. Day to night, what what he's talking about? He's talking about a day, a 24-hour period, and really just the hours of daylight that exist. And he's saying, that's how short my life is. When he thinks about it. I calm myself until morning. I I tried to calm myself. Anybody ever had a sleepless night thinking that something bad was going to happen? calm myself I had to stay up just calming myself down all night long that's a tough night and then the last metaphor the lion I tell you what this one's a tough one to think about he said like a lion he breaks all my bones who is he I think it's the Lord but at the same time it's it's death that's coming okay and he says, "From day to night, you bring me to an end." And I, I think about a lion. Lions don't just kill their prey. Research indicates that lions in the wild require uh, about 100. I think it's uh, 70 to 110 pounds to eat in a sitting. Okay. Males need more than females. However, they don't tend to eat every day because they spend about 20 hours of each 24-hour day sleeping instead they eat every 3 to 4 days and when they finally settle for a meal it's a feast 110 pounds of food at one time okay that's anywhere from 15 to 50% of their own body weight but listen to this they will eat every possible part of the kill Everything except the digestive organs, the teeth, and any horns or hooves. They eat it all. They crush the bones and chew the carcass until it is completely destroyed. Does death sound like a fun thing to you when we put it in that light? Now, I told you he's going to sound kind of morose here. He's going to sound pretty drab here. But praise God, we're getting to the end. The end of the song. Okay? So, you still with me? Are you still hanging on? Now, let me point out something to you. I want you to go all the way back up to verse uh, 10 with me for just a second. And notice what he says. What is the first, first word of that? He says, I said. Okay? What tense is said? It's past tense, right? When, when, when a believer looks at death, they don't look at death any longer as a death that devours or a death that divides or a death that's decisive. They don't look at death that, any, that way anymore because the believer has passed from death into life. The writer of Hebrews says that Jesus came and he destroyed death by his death. And not only did he do that, he put to shame the powers of darkness whenever he died. And he released the bonds. He released those chains and those shackles. And the writer of Hebrews says, whenever, excuse me, Paul says in Corinthians, when it's all over, death will be swallowed up in victory. The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But Jesus Christ himself, he fulfilled the law. And because of that now we live. And whenever that happens, then we'll come to pass the saying, Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? He takes it away. Adrian Rogers put it this way. He says, death is just a shadow because Jesus has become the death of death. He pulled the sting out of death. He took the gloom out of the grave. He took the dread out of dying. Jesus gives us a hope that is steadfast and sure. A shadow may frighten you, but it cannot hurt you. Martin Luther said, our God is a God from whom cometh salvation. God is the Lord by whom we escape death. That's his last words on earth. Last words of John Knox. Live in Christ, live in Christ, and the flesh need not fear death. What about the last words of John Calvin? Listen to what he said. Thou, Lord, bruises me, but I am abundantly satisfied since it is from thy hand. John Wesley said, the best of all is God is with us. Farewell, farewell. Charles Wesley's last words, I shall be satisfied with thy likeness. Satisfied, satisfied. Dear friend, you don't have to fear death. And to be revived means that you can look upon death with a smile. And know that all the days that God gives you on this earth are a gift from him. But I want to tell you secondly, I'll hit number two and number three pretty quickly. I know that I spent a lot of time on the first one. Revival rescues us from the bonds of bitterness. So the bitterness that resulted over all of this, he, he kind of he gives us a couple more metaphors. He, th- he obviously likes animals because verse 14, like a swallow or a crane, I chirp, I moan like a dove. If you think about that, uh, a swallow songs are, are high pitched and liquid composed of three sounds, a chirp, a whine and a gurgle. That doesn't sound real pleasant to me. I listen to some swallows online and they don't sound like a songbird. If you ever listen to a a swallow. Uh, They mix and match a variety of patterns. Both males and females sing. And then he talks about a crane. Well, cranes don't make a real nice noise either. Sandhill cranes give loud, rattling bugle calls. Each lasting a couple of seconds and often strung together. They can be heard up to two and a half miles away. And are given on the ground as well in flight. They also give moans, hisses goose-like honks and snoring sounds according to the Cornell lab of Ornithology. you think about that the worst sounding birds that you can imagine the only bird that I've heard that probably sounds worse than that is is a peacock you ever heard a peacock at the at the zoo it sounds like a dying child or something a screaming child or a, or an ape that got his tail stuck in the gate or something it, it's, te- it's' terrible sounding He's describing the, the worst sounds that a bird can make, and he's saying that's what I sound like. Hezekiah walks. He, he goes on to say that he walks with his he slow and with his head hung down. He says, "My eyes are weary of looking upward." His head's hung down. Oh Lord, I'm oppressed. My pledge of safety. What shall I say? For he has spoken this to me. Said, the Lord was the one that told me I was going to die. How can I pray to Him about it? He doesn't even feel like praying. He says, I walk slowly all my years because of the bitterness of my soul. He drags his feet while he looks down at the ground. Hezekiah walked with his head hung and his feet dragging because he loathed life. I think about Naomi. Y'all remember Naomi? She lost so much. She lost her husband and her two sons in battle. She She was tired and she was grieving and they kept calling her Naomi this and Naomi that and Naomi means sweet and every time they said sweet to her she she hated that word she hated her name that she was given because it reminded her of all of the the good days and the blessings and it reminded her of her husband who used to call her Naomi it reminded her of her of her sons who used to call her mother and that she had lost them and she said don't call me Naomi anymore I'm tired of being called Naomi. Call me Mara. Call me Mara. Well, that word Mara is the same word that's used here by Hezekiah to describe his situation for the word bitterness. Naomi said, don't call me Naomi anymore. Don't call me sweet anymore. Call me bitter. Because this world has has chewed me up and it spit me back out. And I'm in the bonds of bitterness. I hurt. I ache. I knew a a woman personally, it was her pastor, who had lost her husband to a terrible disease. Then her oldest son was diagnosed with the, the same exact disease, terminal. Then her youngest son was diagnosed with that disease, it's hereditary. Their youngest son in the night, in in an evening, became intoxicated. was sitting on the back of a vehicle, riding on the back of a vehicle. The vehicle went across the highway. The young man fell off the back of the vehicle, hit his head on the curb, and died on the side of the highway. She locked herself in her house. She drew the curtains, the shades. And she sat in the dark for months. A knock on the door, she wouldn't answer. I finally got her to come to the door from banging one day. She came in in her robe had never even gotten up. It was near midday. And she let me come in. And I began to minister the word of God to her. The church went, took food by, ministered to her. We visited her for months and months and prayed with her. We read scripture. We rejoiced when finally the love of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit lifted that woman up from the pit of despair and brought her back to church. And she's been going ever since, praise God. I see your Facebook posts nowadays. Just the other day she posted. I just heard some good news. I'm not overweight. I'm just under tall. (laughs) Amen. She also posted. He created me. He died for me. He lives in my heart. I'm not ashamed to say. Jesus, I love you. And she loves Jesus because Jesus first loved her and Jesus lifted her by his love out of that pit. You know we used to sing that song? Love lifted me in church. And and back in, uh old country church in Mississippi, this was the requirement. You stand to sing that song, and every time you get to the word lifted, you do this. So the whole congregation, Love lifted me. Love lifted me. It's almost like a game. It was fun. But it's a picture of what it means whenever the Lord Jesus, by his love, he he finds you right where Hezekiah was, whenever Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and wept bitterly. And yet, Isaiah walks back into the room and Isaiah says to him, the Lord's hearing your prayer right now, Hezekiah. He's saving you from this Hezekiah. He loves you, Hezekiah. And he's going to give you 15 more years to live. And that message resonated in Hezekiah's heart. For the latter years of his life. And he was lifted. When you are revived like that. You won't let the next bad thing that happens to you. Shake your faith. The difficulties of life aren't meant to make you bitter. But they're meant to make you better. That's the only reason the Lord allows them to happen to you. When you lose your job or someone gets the promotion. You don't have to be bitter. You can be better. When you face that disappointing diagnosis. You don't have to be bitter. You can get better. When you lose a, a loved one, a family member or a friend, you don't have to get bitter. You can get better. When your marriage faces struggles or you face financial difficulties, get better, not bitter. When your gro- grown children don't act grown, <laughs> you can get better, not bitter. When Alabama loses to Ole Miss next Sunday, Saturday, uh, you can get bitter, but you should get better. Come on over to the right side. Sorry. I'm going to tell you lastly, revival restores your rejoicing. Restores your rejoicing. And so he, he was there in the bonds of bitterness and he had felt the sting of death. But then in that latter part that we've already read, and we don't have to read it all over again, but from verses 16 to 20, what I see is he didn't know the name, but if Hezekiah knew the name of Jesus, the rest of verses 16 through 20 would just say, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Because Jesus paid it all. And he goes on to say that he had cast his sin behind his back. I think about that. How did... Lord Jesus cast our sin behind His back. He nailed it to the cross. The words there, restore me to health and make me live, may be a little bit deceiving because that's not a prayer. That's a word of thanks. And it has to do with the way that the Greek is expressed. And, and many commentators have, have struggled with this passage. But one commentator, he says, the, the use of the imperfect followed by the imperative... No, you don't really care too much about that. Any of you uh, language people out there might. It's not a request. Rather, it expresses a consequence that is expected with certainty. In other words, you might could translate those words this way Lord, I know that you will restore me to health. And Lord, I know that you will make me live. How many of you can look at the latter part of your life? however much time the Lord gives you from this point to the end of your life and say, Lord, I know that you will make me live. I know, Lord, that you will bless me. I know, Lord, that you are working in me. I know, Lord, that you are working through me. And I know, Lord, that the latter days of my life are going to be better than the first because I am walking with you right now. Do you know that? You know that that's true? Now, this is what he says. He knows God is working in and through him. He knows that he'll live by all of these things. When it says all of these things, it's talking about all the blessings of God that are coming because of the deliverance of God. Casting his sin behind his back. Forgiveness. Hezekiah at this point knows that he is forgiven. And what it results in is praise. He goes on to say, Behold, it was for my welfare. That word welfare is the Hebrew word shalom. And you know that word means peace, right? Isaiah 26, verse 3 says, You keep him at perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Now Hezekiah, he has a a deeper appreciation for the small things. Skip on down with me and read what he says. He says, The living, the living, he thanks you. He talks about the dead people. He says, Dead people don't thank you. Even people who are spiritually dead don't thank the Lord. You get out there in in the traffic or whatever and people... Honking and grumbly and grumpy. Go to Walmart, you find the same kind of grumpy people there. Wherever you go, people are grumbling and complaining about whatever. They don't thank the Lord. They don't stop to give Him praise. Hezekiah says the people that have been revived, those kind of people need to thank God. Those are the people that worship God. Those are the people that praise God. Those people love God because they've known the love of God. And then he goes on to say, he says, the father makes known to the children your faithfulness. You know, Hezekiah, what was on his mind, that he was going to die and he wasn't going to get to see his children grow up. But now what does he say? He said, now I'm going to take time with my kids. And I'm going to watch them grow up. And I'm going to tell them of the faithfulness of my God. The last line in the Old Testament talks about how the Lord will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Hezekiah's heart was turned back to his children when he was revived. Slow down, take in the scenery, praise God, spend time on what is truly important rather than just punch a clock and spin your wheels. Spend time with your family, make time with the Lord the priority of your life. Notice what he says at the very end. He says, the Lord will save me. He's saying, I know whenever I face death, I'm going to be in the presence of the Lord and I'm saved. Do you know that you're saved today? And then he says, and we will play music on stringed instruments and that's Cody's favorite part of this song. He says, I'm going to pick up my guitar more and I'm going to praise God more than ever before all the days of our lives and he doesn't just he doesn't make that singular, he makes it plural. In other words he's going to take his responsibility, he's going to take his responsibility as the king, as the spiritual leader of the people of Israel, he's of Judah, he's going to take it per, as a personal responsibility to lead them in worshiping the Lord. You take that as your personal responsibility. To lead the people around you to worship and praise the same Jesus that you know. David said in Psalm 27, the king, right? This is the king. He says, one thing I've asked of the Lord that I will seek after. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to acquire, inquire in his temple. So David said that one thing he wanted more than anything was to just spend time with the Lord in his house. Psalm 27, verse 13, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I wonder, if you were given an extra 15 years, what would you do? If you were given an extra 15 days, if God just extended your life, turned back the sundial just a little bit, let you have 15 more days... if you had 15 more minutes? What would you do with it? Wouldn't you live revived? I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Maybe you're here this morning and you came here not not knowing what to expect and you maybe came here just really not thinking about the Lord, but now the songs that we've sung, the word that you've heard You realize that God is a loving and forgiving God, but you don't know him as your Lord and Savior. You've never confessed your sin to him. You've never placed your faith in the one who died for you, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is ascended to heaven and seated on the throne right now and who will come again and judge the living and the dead. Maybe you're not ready for that day i want to tell you today, you can be ready. You can know for certain that when you face death, you can welcome death as a friend. You can smile at death. You can worship at death. And you can say, I know that death is just a doorway for me to pass through. And on the other side is my Savior. If you haven't come to that place in your life right now, you're not ready to live. I don't even know how many days you have left on this earth. But however many you have, you're not ready to live those the right way. But you can get that right right now, today, before you leave. And if you want to do that, I want you to bow your heads with your eyes closed and I want you to pray this prayer and mean it with all your heart. Say, Lord Jesus, I admit to you that I am a sinner. I've done things I know are wrong and I have failed to do the things I know are right that you've called me to do. And I deserve the penalty for my sin. I deserve to die and not just die, but to be separated from you for eternity. But Jesus, I believe that you lived a sinless life and you paid the penalty for my sin. You died in my place on the cross. So Jesus, I come to you now, confessing my sin, repenting of my sin, and I place my faith in you. I ask you to forgive me. Make me a new person. Now Jesus, thank you for my salvation. I'll spend the rest of my life loving you and living for you. And when I die, I'll be with you forever. And I pray this prayer in your holy name. Amen. Now would you stand with me? This is our invitation, and this is your opportunity. If you prayed that prayer this morning, and you meant that with all your heart, it's the first time you're asking Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. The Bible, says the Bible says the angels in heaven are rejoicing. There's great rejoicing before my Father who is in heaven. And the Bible even says that the Lord God Himself, He sings over us, and He's rejoicing over your salvation. And so we invite you to come so that we can celebrate with you, so that we can encourage you. And we can offer to you believers' baptism. And we can give you resources to grow in a small group to be a part of. So you come during this invitation. If you've made Jesus your Lord and Savior today, you come and let's celebrate. And if you're looking for a place to love and serve Jesus, we welcome you here to Grove Baptist Church. This is home. And we would love to have you here. If you simply need prayer, altar counselors are coming forward and they'll welcome you and pray with you. And encourage you in whatever way needs to happen, you come as we sing together. Nothing but the blood. Let's sing the hymn of invitation. See what can wash away.